Welcome to Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Ward. Tune in to today's taboo topic with Kaylee and Tracy. We did it! We did it! Tracy, we did it. We did it. Everyone's amazing. This is amazing. Our second series in one season. Oh, yes, that's true. Dude, I mean, I didn't think we'd be able to top the first one about the atonement, but um, I loved our Pride series so much. I mean, not only was it like really good and important information, but we also had like a ton of amazing guests that I, I, I keep thinking about our episodes more than I have before. And I'm just like, this was so amazing. I know. And I hate being like, like tooting our horn Toot about this podcast, but like <laughs> this it. one has been incredible and we have made some really amazing content like yes the caliber of content that we have created has been top notch folks like so good it has been incredible like we've learned so much from each of our guests we've learned a lot from our research and we've learned a lot from the spirit along the way and it's just been the most uplifting and edifying experience to take this time over the last month it's just been amazing it has been so incredible and i mean with every interview and every episode we did especially like i felt the spirit so strongly i mean like i felt it during episodes before i felt it during you know during my research and everything but it was a constant with this prize series it just gave me the the affirmation not the affirmation the it gave me the confirmation that I didn't really need, but I definitely loved having that this was exactly what we needed to be doing. We brought on the right people. We were talking about the right, the things that someone else out here needed to hear. This is very nice. And I know it's just us recording episodes into the atmosphere and hoping people will listen to us, but that's the first step to educating people and to pushing forward to create the kind of positive change that we need to help people feel loved and to create outlets and open doors for one another. Yeah, because I mean, we've talked about this with each of our guests. Everyone has said that education is the most important aspect of allyship. Yeah. Taking the time to educate yourself on the LGBTQ community, the history, church history in relation to the LGBTQ community, like everything hinges on education and bettering yourself. And so I'm so glad that we have taken this time to educate ourselves better and to share what we've learned with all of you that have been listening for the last month. So thank you for going on this journey with us. Yes. Thank you, guys. You are all absolutely amazing. And so are our especially incredible guests that we've had this season. And speaking of, we have one more, one more amazing soul who is helping us close this prize series out with us. We were so thrilled that she was willing to, to join us. And we had a great conversation. We had such a great conversation with her. So we are going to go ahead and turn the time over to our recently passed selves and check out our episode with, with Savannah as we talk about Frank Allyship. Enjoy. We have a good friend of the podcast, Savannah McCoy, as our guest today. She is an open member of the LGBTQ plus community. And like Taryn and Jesse, we knew her from our singles ward back in Orlando. Savannah graduated from Chattahoochee Technical College with a degree in television production and is currently looking for a job in her field. She loves to go to the Orlando theme parks in her free time. 
Savannah grew up with a unique perspective of the LDS and LGBTQ plus community because her uncle was an openly gay activist in Atlanta, Georgia. So thank you so much for joining us today, Savannah, and welcome to our episode. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We are so excited to have you. I mean, we, I've been wanting to talk more about this subject in general because I love our Pride series and having you here is just like the cherry on top. I'm so excited. So for today's episode, we want to have an open and frank conversation about allyship and the LDS church and what it means. So as you know, we've been holding interviews and discussions with multiple people in the LGBTQ plus community and with allies over the month of June discussing allyship and what it means. So today, because we know we really can't talk about allyship enough, we want to go deeper and hear your unfiltered thoughts and learn one final time in our Pride series how we can continually grow and become better allies in and out of the church. So let's dive in. Um, so to get us started out, would you be willing to tell us a little bit about your own personal journey of self-discovery, figuring out your identity as a member who identifies as LGBTQ+, and being the confident, amazing person that you are now? Yeah. So I grew up knowing that gay way. That was never really an issue for me because my uncle Alan did come out in 1993 when he lived in Salt Lake. Um, that's actually a very interesting story. My grandparents um, actually ended up sending him to conversion therapy for a little bit, but they did not know what it was. They didn't understand the whole concept of it. Um, but they actually, my uncle actually ended up telling them like his therapist was hitting on him. As soon as they found that out, they were like, nope, we're taking you out of that. So that was never an issue on my mom's side of the family. My dad's side of the family is completely a different story. I'm the first person out on that side and they're very Southern. But I started to figure out my, um, my sexuality in late 2017. I thought I was bisexual, but I really didn't tell anyone openly. Um, because I wasn't quite sure if it was correct. That label never felt correct, but it was what I was trying to do because I was trying to, you know, follow the church's teachings, but also trying to be myself at the same time. So through dating several guys or going on one date with several guys, I realized I was like, you know what, this isn't working for me. I came out to one of my really close friends in October of 2019, um, and she wasn't very surprised, um, and she was super supportive. That same month, I actually had a school project that I ended up filming at Georgia Equality, which is the largest nonprofit organization for LGBTQ um, IA plus people in the state of Georgia. I was able to do that because the executive director was a really good friend of my uncle's. And I was able to talk to this executive director after I was done filming and I came out to him and he was like, that's great. So I kind of took some time to myself and, you know, figured out where to go from there. And that involved a lot of prayer, not to change my sexuality, but to help me understand what my heavenly would have me do with this information. So I came out publicly in November of 2019. I was actually living in Atlanta at the time. I was down in Orlando on vacation because I had like a three or four day weekend. And I said, why not go to Orlando? So I was actually listening to the song Wait For It from Hamilton. And I 
had one of the strongest impressions that I've ever had that I needed to come out right now. And it was like three in the morning and I'm like, okay, Heavenly Father. So I made my Instagram post that night and I was like, hey, I'm a lesbian. And then the next morning I went to church. We had 9 a.m. church and I was actually in the bathroom after the sacrament meeting. And I ended up running into one of my friends from that ward. And she was like, why are you here? And I'm like, I'm gay. Found out a couple weeks ago that she herself is part of the community. So that's kind of my coming out story. That is a wild ride, like from start to finish. Your uncle is incredible, first of all, for coming out to his family, enduring being sent out to conversion therapy in Salt Lake City, and making it through that, coming home, and then just opening that door for you. And then That's to hear incredible. your story of knowing everything and going from there. And like, like I remember you coming out because I was in the ward and being like, good for her. Like, go Savannah for like, First of all, making that post, and then second of all, like, showing up at church the next day, like, in our ward, like, hello, surprise, we didn't expect you here. (laughs) But it was awesome. Now, you let us know about how you came to know about who you are and your identity as a member of the church who also is a lesbian, and how you turn to the Lord a lot to figure out how that identity worked out. So I want to know how were you able to connect those two and like find your individual worth as a daughter of God who identifies as a lesbian throughout that whole process? And then adding on to that question, how would you advise others who may be struggling to do the same thing in their lives? I have never doubted that I'm a daughter of God. That's something that I've always known for as long as I can remember. So I think for me personally, it was just kind of like, okay, yeah, God's still going to love me. I had my uncle to look up to. I had my mom's cousins to look up to. So for me, it was kind of like I come from a bunch of gay people, basically. And I was just kind of like, okay, I'm a daughter of God. He still loves me. So that's kind of how I found my um, individual worth. That never really changed from me being closeted and me coming out. I think coming out pushed that point even farther into my life and like drove it in. I would advise others to pray, not to change their sexuality, but to know that our heavenly parents still love them regardless of how they identify. And honestly, sometimes this is the gospel according to Savannah. I specifically ask for Heavenly Mother to listen because sometimes you just need that perspective. So I'll say, Heavenly Father, you're great and all, but I really need to talk to mom about the situation. And those prayers have been some of the strongest answers that I've ever gotten. So I'd advise people to ask Heavenly Father to be like, yo, can I talk to mom about this situation? That's absolutely amazing. I love that so much, Savannah. And what you said, your experience and having so much support, having so much family who's been there to be able to to offer you the support to make sure that you do feel loved there, as well as knowing that you are a daughter um, of our heavenly parents, it shows how important it really is for members of the LGBTQ plus community to have that type of support. It helps everyone to feel so much more comfortable, to feel so much more home in their own skin, which is so important. 
and not enough people feel that way sometimes I feel um so I really love that you're able to point that out and I love how you do those words I think that's amazing as you just try to like pray, pray to both of them but I've never thought about emphasizing one over the other and I think that's a really important point um so you show that you've had a lot of amazing support in your family so have you ever felt the need to ever find any other type of support whether in resources or with people um, and any struggles you might have had, especially in potential struggle of being both LDS and in the community, because there are many people who have a hard time seeing that as a possibility. Oh, yeah. Um, I somehow ended up on Provo Twitter. So I ended up talking to Bradley, who you guys has, have talked to. I've um, talked to Brother Osler, who you guys have also talked to, and Calvin, who you guys haven't talked to, but you've talked about him. So I found support in those people. And I've been very lucky in the fact that I have had so many individuals, specifically in Atlanta, that I can go talk to. I will message them on Facebook and I'll ask one of them, do you know anyone who does such and such in Atlanta? And they would say, yes, here's their phone number, here's their email address. And I would just message that person or email that person and say, hi, I'm Alan Thornell's niece. And they would answer me right away and they'd be like, we love your uncle. What can we do for you? How can we offer you support? That's incredible having that kind of like network that you can just tap into. And we we both know you, but our listeners don't know you very well. We know that you are a very like outgoing, exuberant kind of person who is not going to hesitate whatsoever to reach out to anyone. So you're just going to be like, you know what? This is new to me. I don't know that much about the community. Let me ask someone that does. And you are going to immediately jump in on that one. That's awesome. All right. So now as we have been in church together and as we've, you know, witnessed a lot of changes in our singles ward, you're probably seeing a lot more now because now you're there and Kaylee and I are not. So within the church, we know that things tend to change depending on who the leaders are and the environment of the ward changes depending on who the leaders are. And so going into that a little bit, what do you see as like the biggest challenge in the church at this moment for the LGBTQ community? What kind of challenges are we facing in the church, whether it's like leadership or not enough training or anything of that nature that you think is a huge problem for the community and the church? I would say one of the biggest problems is we don't acknowledge our history at all. And we don't just do this for LGBTQ problems. We do this for racism. We do this for um, plural marriage. We do this for a bunch of stuff. We just kind of tend to sweep it under the rug and not talk about it. We need to talk about it. It needs to be addressed so that we can move forward. It needs to be said over the pulpit, probably at conference, because that's the biggest thing we have. And it needs to be said that we're not like that anymore. And a lot of it needs to be denounced. There are still so many people within the church who have those incredibly homophobic and queerphobic ideas that the church has kind of said that they don't believe in, but they've said it in like a way that not everyone understands. I know personally, I have been in a ward where people are very homophobic, and I had to distance myself from that ward. So yeah, we just really need to acknowledge our um, history first, and then we can move on to the other problems. Completely agree with that, Savannah. I do agree about the your comment about general conference, um, because there are sometimes policies that get changed 
or ideas that come through the church and they just put them out into the, you know, the church emails or desert news or something. You find out in, in strange ways, some information that gets changed around in the church. And we can't let this kind of topic get swept under the rug or potentially ignored, or like you said, potentially misconstrued. Because while we do have apostles and other church leaders who are beginning to talk a little bit more on this topic, but it's not been all around well understood enough to for everyone to accept it. And without having the universal acceptance from the top of the church, it's not going to pass down to the rest of the church. Um, and we need that. So I really appreciate how you said that because it is so important. I, I mean, at least I'm definitely hoping for continual progress and change in this church because that's what we're meant to do in this life and the church needs to do it too. But do you see any potential problems as we try to create this change as everyone begins to speak up more and address these concerns? Do you foresee any problems as we move forward? Oh yeah, there will be a lot of problems because you still have people um, alive in the church today who went to BYU during the time that um, President Oaks was the president of BYU and doing the electroshock therapy. So you still have people who believe those ideas. A lot of them have passed on now, but there are still a few very elderly members of the church who quite possibly grew up or were single adults during the Kimball era. Spencer W. Kimball was definitely a product of his time. Sometimes he was definitely speaking as a man, not as a prophet, because the Lord doesn't have those ideas for his LGBTQ children. So a lot of the elderly people, as sad it is to say, um, some of them need to pass on because a bit of negativity can go a long way. I know for me personally, in the ward I was in after I moved home from Orlando, I had a Relief Society president who was taught the Kimball era ideas of homosexuality. So when I came out, she came after me. She told me to my face that we don't want people like you in this ward. And that was such a stark contrast from Orlando. I was so used to Tracy and her outspokenness and her ability to curse in the church, really, um, which I always thought was fantastic. I'm like, finally, I got a Relief Society president who is real and will not sugarcoat it. And I'm like, yes, 10 out of 10. Um, love to see it. So that was such a stark turnaround from that. We still would have taken you. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, Savannah, honestly. And yes, everyone needs a Tracy in their lives, especially in the Relief Society. Oh my gosh. Man, we we need that kind of spirit. We don't we can't have people who are hurting others. You're just spilling all my secrets about how I swear in church all the time. Like that's supposed to be under wraps. Only privileged people get to learn about that. Tracy, you swear on this podcast, no one's gonna believe you just being someone else on Sundays. I know that's true. I can't hide my can't hide my sparkle. Um, all right. So that actually kind of leads us perfectly into this next question, which you already kind of answered, but we want to hear more specifics about it. So the question is, do you feel that all church leaders are allies? And if not, how can that be improved? Education. These church leaders need to be educated. I have been very blessed in the sense that since I've come out, I've had some pretty good bishops. My branch president in the singles war 
Bolsingo's branch that I was in in Atlanta, he was very, very good about it. But he didn't educate anyone. He was just kind of like, yeah, you're okay. I'm okay with you personally, but the ward isn't okay with you. And I'm not going to do anything about that. Now that I'm back in Orlando, this is my second bishop since I've moved here. But the bishop I have now is an icon. We have a bisexual person in our eldest quorum presidency. So he's kind of just like chill with everything. And when I met him and talked to him the first time, he straight up said that if anyone says anything to me, they better watch their back because they're going to have an angry bishop on their hands and he will chastise them um, for general authorities. Some of them need a lot more education. Some of them are allies. We know Elder Christopherson is because he has a gay brother. We know Elder Gong is because he has a gay son. So at least two of the apostles are allies, but things won't improve until people get more education and until the general authorities are more accepting. And I think that will come. I don't see that happening in the next 10 to 20 years. I can see it happening in maybe the next 40 to 50, which I understand is a very long timeline, but things happen slowly. But we're definitely starting to see more acceptance from local leaders and general authorities you were talking about Elder Packard last week and how he had started to change near the end of his life. So not all church leaders are allies, but some are. I agree with that. Um, There's definitely a lot of people who still have a, a bit of a way to go. And I do like the comparison that you drew between the bishops that you've had, because there is a difference between calling yourself an ally and actually acting as one. And if we're going to be an ally, especially within the church, then we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to support everyone in the LGBTQ plus community. We need to make sure that we're actually doing something to help them. Um, So I want to follow that up with, I've been thinking about this lately, and I'd love to get your thought on it, how we, especially during this Pride Month, we've seen a lot of people sharing on social media, claiming that they're there to listen, that they're open to anyone who needs to be heard in the way of, of allyship, of of those who are within the community. They're saying that they're there to support anyone. What is your reaction when you see those? Do you ever feel like that's enough? Do you trust them when they say it? What are, do you believe that that's an important step for them? What is your thought when you see this and if it's good enough or if it needs to be improved upon? First of all, I trust like no one ever. That's just me personally. I mean, wise. <laughs> I probably listen to too much true crime, so I trust like five people, just in general. So I do not trust them immediately. If I know them, then I have more of a sense of, okay, I trust you. But when I see people posting things, um, like they're here to listen, but then I see their actions and it's completely different, I have no trust in them whatsoever. Actions definitely speak louder than words in this situation. And I think it takes a lot of faith to be an ally and faith without work is dead. So you really have to put your actions where your words are and you can't just say, hey, I'm an ally, I'm here to listen and not do anything about it. 
people have the tendency to talk over the LGBTQIA plus community in every setting. So you really need to sit down with them and actually have a one-on-one conversation like we're doing right now in order to be an ally instead of just posting something on social media. Like we saw last year with the um, BLM movement and the Black Squares you saw so many people just posting those black squares and doing nothing after that and calling themselves an ally. You literally just posted a black square on your Instagram that did absolutely nothing. You didn't go self-educate or like go to the protests or anything. You just posted that square and called yourself an ally and you're like, that's my good deed of the day. I'm done. I love what you just shared, how you said it takes faith to be an ally and faith without works is dead. And I love that because I agree 100% with what you just shared as well with the BLM protests and the black squares and everything. We've seen it a lot over the last year, especially we've seen this performative allyship or this performative activism where it's just, I'm going to do this because that's what everybody else is doing, but I'm not actually putting any effort into it. I think it takes, like you said, a lot of faith to be an ally because you are putting your trust not only in the Lord, but you're putting your trust in yourself. You're putting your trust into this community of people who need help and who need to be heard. Taking steps, like you said, to have a one-on-one conversation with them or to meet them where they are and support them and help them know that they are safe wherever you are with them is such an important step. It takes more than just saying or throwing up a post on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter that you're a safe person to come out to. It it takes work. You actually have to do something. Put your money where your mouth is or walk the talk, you know, put the action behind your words. So I love what you just shared. Thank you for that. So like you actually mentioned a couple minutes ago, last week we discussed the very hard topic of the horrors and the atrocities committed against the LGBTQ plus community within the church. It was really hard for the two of us to stomach and to get through our own research and our discussion, but we know that it's an important step for us to address and acknowledge our dark history in order for us to move forward and to become better. So with that said, how can we as a faith community recover from the crimes and the pain of the past within the church towards the LGBTQ plus community? How can we move forward from that? Education. I'm going to keep stressing that fact because that is how we move forward and that is how we do better. When we know better, we do better. We can't know better unless we educate ourselves. When my grandparents sent my uncle to conversion therapy, they didn't know what it was. They didn't understand the whole thing, but they figured out what it was and they did better from that time forward. So education is really the key to moving forward. I agree. I think that's something that we've talked about a lot over the last few weeks. And I know that we talked about this specifically with Taryn and honestly, like, I just want to partner with everyone that we've talked to over the last month and build the diversity and inclusion curriculum training for the church because I feel like it would be so, one, I would love it. It would be so fun for me to be able to do that. And then two, I feel like having all of these different voices and opinions would be such an uplifting and edifying way to create this program that we desperately need. 
I mean, obviously we know that there are other people out there in the world that have a lot better insights than a couple of like 20 something, 30 something year old people, like actual subject matter experts in diversity, equity and inclusion. But like, gosh, I really just want to make this program. Like I really want to. (laughs) I want it because we need it because yeah, Savannah, you're absolutely right. It's not just about educating ourselves, but helping to educate each other, you know, and we need that in the church. Like my parents, they raised me homeschooled saying like the church, the schools won't teach you everything because we want to, we'll do it right. And that's not always the case. And the the church is going to teach us wonderful things, but they're not going to teach us everything that we need to know unless they actually take more action to do it. And that's the kind of action that we need. So I really like how you pointed that out because that is so important. As we go on, um, and you you have already answered this question a little bit because you've been doing so good with all of your answers, um, but I'm going to walk through this question. Uh, we've seen a lot of hate being the cause of destruction for members of the church who identify as LGBTQ+. So both hate and queer phobia from members, as well as self-hate for members who are struggling with their identity. There's been a lot of hurt and pain going on. So you've shared a little bit about this, but how have you faced this and then moved forward through it? Well, luckily for me, I didn't really have to face it a whole bunch because it was, I came out in November. I was basically gone the entire month of December um, out to Utah for Christmas to go visit my grandma and then home for a weekend. And then I went back down to Orlando and then I came home. And then that whole incident with the Relief Society president, then a global pandemic hit. So no one could go to church. I was able to distance myself from those people that were extremely homophobic and work through that all while no one could go to church. So I was very lucky in that sense. I know people personally who had to get restraining orders against their bishops after they came out because the bishop was stalking them and trying to get them to go to conversion therapy, even though it was deemed illegal in the state of Utah by the time they came out. I think that bishop wanted them to go to North Star, which is what the conversion therapy in Utah evolved into. But for people struggling with self-hate, I would say pray. Pray to understand the love that our heavenly parents have for them. Pray for knowledge that what you're experiencing is not wrong or sinful in any sense of the word. Pray for those around you to have a sense of understanding because with prayer, you can achieve great things even if they don't seem that big. If you need to, distance yourself because you can still have a relationship with your Heavenly Father and your Heavenly Mother in Jesus Christ without physically sitting in a chapel. We all learned over the past year of churches being closed. Study your scriptures. I know that sounds crazy in a way, but study your scriptures and begin by asking your Heavenly Parents to feel the love that they have for you. There are some great groups on Facebook that they can join as well. Um, this Affirmation Millennial page, which is absolutely wonderful. It's a bunch of people who were raised in the church who are millennials. Um, those people in that group will not judge you. Some of them are still active in the church. Some of them have left. Some of them are what the church would call less active, even though I hate that phrasing. So some of them go as they need to go. 
go to the temple grounds if your temple is open enough to do that. Go pray on the temple grounds. That was something that I did a lot when I was trying to understand my identity because the temple is holy ground. It's been dedicated and consecrated for the spirit of the Lord to be there. Go to the temple grounds. You don't even have to go inside the temple. You can just sit on the temple grounds, meditate, pray, and that can definitely help. Also, going to therapy can help. It doesn't have to be an LDS social services therapist. It can just be a normal therapist because therapists are trained to understand. And sometimes it's really good to have an outside perspective of someone who never grew up in the church and to have another voice saying, you know, it's okay. I love everything that you just shared. That was so beautiful and powerful. Kaylee and I have talked about this before, about how we were really blessed to be going through a faith crisis during the pandemic and to have that time. Yeah, really to have that time to not be physically in a church building or to be holding a calling so we could figure out what was our issue, what our relationship was with the Lord and our heavenly parents, and to figure out where our testimony was and what we needed to do to work on that. I know for me, if I had still been the Relief Society president and physically going to church every Sunday and doing everything that I had to do, I probably would not have this level of clarity that I have now from being removed from that situation for almost a year. I think your advice to other single adults who are struggling with hate, homophobia, queerphobia, self-hate, everything, to just look towards the Lord, to look towards other resources like positive groups on Facebook, find those pockets of positivity and finding help with a therapist. All of us have gone to therapy and we all can endorse that statement 100% that all of those things really are helpful. So thank you for sharing that. So before we wrap up our interview today, um, do you have any final thoughts or words of encouragement for our listeners who are either LGBTQ plus or are working to become better allies for the community? I know I've said it so many times, but I'm going to say it again. Education and prayer. Those are two of the most important things. Educate yourself on not only the church's LGBTQ history, which is incredibly hard to stomach. Um, Educate yourself on LGBTQ plus history in general. And some of that is extremely hard to stomach as well. I would say talk to your bishop, but then you're getting into bishop roulette and that's never fun to play. I definitely blessed in a lot of ways because I was surrounded by allies. It's kind of funny how three of your um, guests have been in the ward from Orlando. Yeah, find those people in your life that you can talk to and who will listen. And if you don't have your person, um, have those people in your life, go find more people. Um, Podcast Latter Day Stories is an absolutely wonderful thing to turn to. You can definitely draw strength from other people's stories. There's Love is Spoken Queer. That's another podcast. Um, Brother Osler's podcast that you can go listen to. You go to the Latter-day Stories website. They have so many podcasts list- that listed on there that will help yourself and also for allies to become better. Um, y'all are worth it. Y'all are loved by our Heavenly Parent and you can definitely get through this and there are people who will love you. That was beautiful. Thank you, Savannah, for sharing. And I agree. 
the more people you can have in your life who will support you, the better off you are. You don't have to have a hundred people. You just need a few people who are going to be committed, who are going to care about you and love you and support you. That's so incredibly, so important. Being alone in this life is hard enough. We don't need to make it harder. Amen. Um, so thank you so much for, not just for this answer, but for everything else that you've shared tonight. It's been such a wonderful conversation with you to share, to learn about your story, to learn about all that you've learned through um, the last couple of years and how we can press forward to find hope and possibilities for the future. Seriously, thank you for joining us today. It's been it so, so great. So great. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. We hope you enjoyed that. Hey, hey. I know we did. Yeah, we sure did. That was such a fun discussion. Okay, we didn't actually include this in our recording. We hit stop recording before this happened. But Savannah reminded us that the exact day that she came out and showed up at our singles ward in November of 2019, that I legit turned to her and said, so do you want to be a guest on our podcast? Which (laughs) Mm -hmm. I completely forgot about that moment. I didn't correlate that it was the same day but like I do remember asking her if she wanted to be a guest on our podcast and she was like yeah of course so this episode was basically like a year and a half in the making I was gonna say no I remember that because that that is yeah. I don't know why it's just like I it's not like I need to be friends with her so she will be on our podcast but it's like she's amazing we do need to have her on our podcast maybe not right now like we need to find the perfect time and this definitely was the perfect time because yeah she talked to you about it then she came to me and mentioned it and I was like girl yes 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 yeah hundred times yes so. it was <laughs> it was so perfect and I'm so happy that we ended this series with her voice because yes I just realized she's the only woman that we had as a guest on our series we're gonna work on that shame on us for not including more women and more female voices I mean maybe it's because we're both women and so we're like we hear enough from women but like we could never hear enough from women we did need to make <laughs> a little bit of space for the men but we had a really good variety of speakers I think we started out with brother Osler who is an incredible voice who comes from a world of experience with his experience of being a bishop with his organized then we went on to others like Taryn, who is also like very much into intersectionality um, for people with disabilities and with the black community. And then we had mm-hmm. we had Jesse and we had Bradley who have their own great stories to share. I do feel that we kind of needed all of them. And maybe just, you know, for our next series, we'll just have all women, you know, that, that can happen. Oh, why not? Maybe. Anyways, we'll discuss that in the future off the air. Um, But we, like we talked about, we really wanted to do like a summary kind of episode to discuss allyship even further than we already have over the last few weeks, because we really feel like we can never talk about it enough. So we knew that if we had Savannah as our guest host, that we would really be frank, honest, and open about everything with allyship and that she would be open, frank, and honest and just like straight shoot everything with us, which she did. Aside from our amazing discussion with Savannah, we wanted to highlight a few key things that we've learned through the last month as we have dedicated our series to our LGBTQ plus siblings in and out of the church. So here's a few things that we have learned over the last month. Yes. They're amazing points. Stick with us on them. All right. So number one is being an ally starts with respect. This includes the respect to listen with an open heart and mind to others' experiences, allowing people to live their lives the best way they know how without passing judgment on it. 
and calling people by their preferred labels and pronouns. So important. Being an ally isn't just putting, you know, a black square on your profile. It's about actually taking action. Okay, I love this quote from Blair Osler's Queer Mormon Theology. I will be quoting that book until the day I die. And so Osler wrote, Respecting a person's label is not simply a matter of civil niceties or politeness. It is a matter of respecting one's autonomy as a self-determining agent. To label an experience, such as the queer experience, is to confer dignity upon those who wear the label. It is a legitimization of a lived experience. To erase someone's self-conferred label strips a person of their autonomy as a free agent. This is particularly important to transgender and non-binary folks who must continually work to legitimize their self-identification in ways most people take for granted. Amen. I love that. So the second thing we've learned is that inclusivity starts where you are. If we want to see real change happen in the culture of the church as a whole, then we have to start with ourselves as individuals. And Blair Osler, again, in Queer Mormon Theology, suggested 15 ways to be more inclusive as a person. One, educate yourself on the latest developments. Two, create space for honest discussion. Three, say heavenly parents instead of just heavenly father. Four, acknowledge queer youth. Five, talk about women and the priesthood. Six, include queer adults. Just like you need to include single adults, include the queer adults. 7. Host a fireside. 8. Include women speakers in the high council circuit. Amen, not just return missionary sisters. 9. Combine activities. 10. Respect gender identity. 11. Teach that women are more than mothers. 12. Hold special workshops, like inclusivity workshops or educational workshops. 13. Stay humble. 14. Let them go. Let them live. Let them do what they need to do. And 15, and most importantly, is love them. I love that. There are simple actions that we can be doing to continuously improve ourselves and to support those around us. So next lesson that we've learned is that you don't have to agree with and blindly follow every single thing the prophet says or our church leaders say to be a good member of the church. So as we learned from Richard Osler at the beginning of our series, we have the responsibility and the opportunity to ask the Lord questions and receive revelation about the policies and commandments that come from the Lord's anointed. We need to seek answers to our questions, confirmation to whether a policy or practice is true or not, and make a choice for ourselves whether we want to believe or not. We are agents who act and seek, not robots whose programming is pre-selected simple as that and then at least our third quote just in this episode from blair osler she says at times you must disobey an unrighteous authority to obey a higher authority and that higher authority is love god is not interested in robotic obedience or we wouldn't have a need for agency that was satan's plan each member of the body of christ has a duty and responsibility to obey god's commandments according to the dictates of their conscience with an open heart and willing mind. I love that so much. I love that too. All right. And the next thing that we learned is the highest commandment we need to be following is the commandment to love God first and love your neighbors and fellow man second. 
if any policy, order, or person is telling you not to do those things, you should deeply reconsider whether or not you should be obeying that. And in another <laughs> quote from Blair Osler. <laughs> it's just Blair Osler. Next episode is just going to be reading the entire play. So. <laughs> We're just going to read the whole thing. <laughs> page um, by page. Blair Osler states, God gave us the greatest commandment through Jesus Christ. The greatest commandment is to love God and love each other. All other commandments hinge on this commandment. If any other command or request conflicts with the first commandment of thou shalt love, it should be reworked, reimagined, or discarded. No other commandment can supersede God's ultimate commandment to love, end quote. Amen to that. Mm-hmm. So these are just a few of the lessons that we've, we have learned, that we've prayed about, and that we intend to move forward and continuously working towards and advocating for. And so we encourage that all of you do the same thing, because these are things that we need to be doing, just as good people in this world, like, whether or not you are religious, you can still have that mentality of treating one another as humans who you will listen to and support. Mm-hmm. All right. And so in order to move forward from our dark history and actions from the past, both in the church and in our personal lives, we have to follow the repentance process in every way. Admit and acknowledge we've done wrong. Seek forgiveness. Turn away from that action. Commit to being and doing better. This is so important. And it's not something that we can just pretend isn't a necessary step we've seen the church do that a few times where they pretend that something didn't actually happen and that's not how we fix things that's not how we improve ourselves so let's try to do better to set an example for those around us for even for people who are supposed to be setting good examples for us we need to be doing that so that we're truly on the right path and i know that is what our heavenly parents want for me as well as for each of you i could not have said that better myself I think that's something that we've talked about the most over the last few weeks, and that's something that Savannah emphasized the most in our episode today, that it is so important for us to educate ourselves about our true history so that way we can acknowledge it, turn away from it, and be better. And if we don't learn from our past, we're never going to be prepared for the future and the change that we want to see happen in the church. And so just to finalize and wrap up this entire series and this episode and everything that we've shared over the last five weeks, six weeks, at this point, I don't even know. I mean, it's a long time, but also it was not Yeah, at this point, I don't even know how much time it was. Over the last six episodes, I can say that. Oh, so it was six weeks. I'm dumb. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Weeks and episodes will be the same, Tracy. I don't know anything anymore. (laughs) It's okay. Um, To wrap all of this up, we just wanted to say that we are so grateful that you have been able to join us on this journey and that you have taken this time to educate yourself and to learn how you can improve and become a better ally towards our LGBTQ plus siblings in and out of the church. We care about helping the LGBTQ plus community within the church, especially, and outside of the church to know that they have people that they can turn to and that they can trust. And it's more than just saying that you're an ally and putting up rainbow frames on your profile pictures on all of your social media. It is doing something. It is acting. And like Savannah said, it's it takes faith. And faith without works is dead. And I think I'm going to keep saying that quote for the rest of my life. So thank you, Savannah, for that one. Thank you, Savannah. Thank you to all of our people who have joined us throughout this series. And thank you to all of you who have listened 
and stuck with us through this um, and through our, our podcast in general. We really appreciate you being here. We appreciate you taking your time to listen, to learn, and to to touch base with us because we, I mean, we'd still be doing this without you, but it makes us feel so much better <laughs> that someone is listening to us. Yeah. So thank you. <laughs> yes. With that said, next week, we're going to go back to our regularly scheduled programming. I mean, it's not like this has been absurd programming <laughs> or anything, but it's going to go back to just me and Kaylee for a couple of weeks um, until we potentially start another series. Who knows? Who knows what that'll be? You'll have to wait and see, but I'm excited yeah. about that one too. <laughs> um, so thank you guys for joining us and we will see See you all next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye.